looking at animal health issues, trying to see if we can take care of our stock in a better way, taking care of our people, making it more enjoyable, more added enthusiasm and excitement to their day again, and then also the environmental impact, seeing if we can't continue to create you know, high-quality milk with having, while reducing our impact on the environment. One winter I drove around the district and just thought this is not going to work for us in the future. We get best bang for buck if we can figure out better ways of wintering animals. Learning these things, future for farming, is definitely better. My wife and I farm here at Hines, mid-Canterbury. It's a 183 irrigated hectare dairy platform. We lease 20 odd hectares of dry land. We try and grow various crops on there to help support the dairy farm. So it was just a basic follow the standard FERT programs. So we, would, we did that because that's what we were taught. Turning point for me as, as Greg's wife, seeing that things had become just way too complicated. Got sick cows, nitrate poisoning. That was pretty hard losing cows to that. Just got us thinking what's what's out there. We didn't change straight away, but it was really, we've got to be looking outside the square and share the runoff with my brother. And I, I, I said to him, you know, look, we, we've got to look at some of these different things. That was probably the first time we heard about using mixed crops and that sort of thing. It grew pretty well. It was challenged, hail and bloody hot nor'westers. And it, it still yielded pretty good. The cows loved it. The stock just seemed more content. They don't hog into the minerals the same. Our heifers came off and calved down last, last spring and they seemed to have a bit of a punch in their step. They were stronger animals. We had a pretty good in calf rate with those guys. So they probably grow out a bit better. Well, you're not going around there and that bloody spray truck's not in the crops two or three times. You're not driving around there smelling bloody chemical. Oh. It's nice that we're supporting the, the birds and the bees and the insects, the healthy insects, and we're not damaging that. It's just really exciting to see all those benefits coming. The first crop had about 40 litres of fish, I think, overall all up, and this season's had nothing, nothing at all. There has been a significant change to our fertiliser expenses. We've gone from 220-odd thousand down to 100,000. It's pretty exciting, you know, a month later, bills aren't turning up because there's nothing to pay. That's a good conversation to have. All together, we run about 80% sheep and 20% cattle. And we're steep to rolling country, pretty much about 40% gully. No monoculture cropping anymore, all diversity. And same with regrassing for about nine species instead of just a ryegrass pasture. Yeah, well, the big goal would to be get out of winter crops altogether and become a this whole grass system. We're definitely reducing that at the moment. Um, this coming year, we went from 25 hectares of crop last year, we'll be down to 12 to 15. And then maybe get into the bale grazing of the cattle. Swede crop, oh yeah, you need 400 kgs of DAP, 300 off the truck, 100 down the spout, and you're like, what the? So yeah, okay, I'll do that and then you end up with eight tonne because the weeds just overwhelm everything. 
and then you put an ombre on it and then you do a helicopter spray and then you do and you just still end up with spending thousands of dollars with the crap results so now stuff you throw all that away go back to no till still doing a spray though 50 kgs of DAP down the spout and went from 15 ton to 18 ton multi-species crop for spending about a quarter of the amount of money. Definitely the no-till thing, that's way better. We had neighbours there tilled soil or wash out re-soak and none of ours. And that's what, ours is steep. The spraying thing's annoying, but cost-wise, spraying than ploughing. For a contract, you had two and a half grand a day to plough. To spray it costs you 200 bucks. With the lines, they do a winter crop thing every year. You sort of, they come around and measure all your crops. And you crop money is sort of a fundraising thing. So they come here and see all the mixed crops and just, whoa. The neighbour, they do a straight rye corn mix. So why don't you put some crimson clover and some vetch in there? It's better for your soil. Don't spray it. Don't spray your thistles. Just don't worry about it. Well, it's exciting if you watch something else grow. Yeah. Well, the tick beans, what they do in a crop, they've got photos of the nodules on their roots. Like, they're just phenomenal. We've grown tick beans that high. And the amount of nitrogen they're producing into the soil before it goes into grass is way better than any synthetic fertilizer you do. It doesn't stop it from blooming grain, probably helps it. We don't spray through any aphids or anything, and that's just madness. You shouldn't be spraying insects. But with the flower in there, they're fine. They just do their thing, get pollinators in there, get them cranked, and then they all just counter each other out. They don't wreck anything. So Alone Farms was formed in 2012, and we're a group of five dairy farms and a dairy support, and the idea was to create intergenerational farms. Well, we've been operating under the Land and Water Regional Plan, and we are having constraints and limits put on our wintering block because of that. So we've been trying to work within those limits for the past few seasons. Right now, we're focusing on this regenerative case study that we're doing. We're looking at financial data, environmental, animal health, milk quality, and then the social outcomes as well. Looking at a range of things across that, the area where we're probably collecting the most data would be in the environmental and the animal health space. But we are going to be testing the difference in the milk quality as well, which is quite exciting to see. Yeah, we've been spending the last two seasons getting to 50-50 farm split of regenerative pastures with diverse pastures and then the conventional ryegrass clover. And so as of June 1st this year, we split the herds in half. We've got a regen herd, a conventional herd, and we're going to be running the two farm systems within the single farm gate so we can accurately compare the differences. We have been looking at alternatives and diverse winter feed was quite appealing to us for a variety of reasons. The intention was to have them as a brassica dominant winter crop, 60% brassicas, maybe 40% cereals. In the end, it was a bit more cereal dominant, and I think that's something that we're gonna change next year. All sorts of interesting things in the mix, trying to give the stock a diverse diet. You got kale, you got radishes, a rape, you got you know, barley, but you got phacelia as well. I've got 20 species, while also having winter active species in there that can continue growing. 
after the grazing, so you're not leaving the bare ground that you would leave with the conventional row crops. Our, some of our, our regen paddocks, they've had no synthetic nitrogen in over two seasons. Uh, we've seen a reduction in irrigation, estimating that to be around 40% reduction, but we have now put uh, pivot meters on the base of our pivot so we can actually, yeah, this season really quantify the differences in water requirements. Instead, our stock have been getting you know, bits and pieces of regen and conventional diets. It's not been exclusively one way, but we have noticed an improvement in the girls that are grazing on that on that crop. Uh, just shinier coats, just a bit more healthy, and the farm managers, they can't really describe it perfectly, but they say there's something different about them, which is quite interesting. We're expecting to see a reduction of 30 cents on the farm working expenses on the regenerative side. That's mainly due to um, our estimated reduction in fertilizer and supplementary feed. But yeah, I think, We'll try again with the winter crops this year, maybe at a larger scale, and maybe look at doing some bale grazing as well. Yeah. Bale grazing, it's really a, a North American wintering method where the hay bales are placed like a checkerboard across the paddock, a pasture paddock, and then you block graze it throughout winter. Approximately in March, we'll shut that paddock up and grow the pasture a little bit taller. Hopefully we'll have five to 6,000 kgs of dry matter cover on those paddocks by the time we go into winter. We've been going pretty, pretty intense on the regen for the last two and a half to three years. It's working really well for us, so this will be our third season next year going into, into winter bale grazing. At the moment we're working on 100 cows per break and we have approximately 12 bales of hay per break, and that's a three-day break for them. So with that, we're importing um, grass seed, we're importing nutrients. The bale litter that's left there, which is probably around 15 to 20% of a bale, that's spread out, and that, that just creates this, this layer of mulch that breaks down slowly over the summer and incorporates back into the soil, so then you get all this worm life. A year on, is, it's amazing to see you're increasing future water holding capacity because those areas can now infiltrate and hold more water. Uh, grazing it in a block so the nutrients and dung gets distributed quite evenly across the break. And the dung is quite fibrous from the hay. It's not mobile, so if you get a heavy rain, it's, it's not moving, it's not shifting anywhere a year or two years on, those areas will grow lush grass compared to the patches where the bales weren't. They'll, they'll tend to stress quicker, go to seed, and the bale patches will stay lush. We're getting the use of the paddock, and we're getting the use of the paddock when they're at peak milk. We'll pull the paddock out in, say, March, and shut it up for bale grazing the, for that winter. Wintering costs, uh, they don't seem to be going down. So the bale grazing is great because we've, we've eliminated cultivation. So we've taken out huge costs. When we're using the bales as imported fertility, we are reducing our fertilizer costs over those areas, but we're not factoring in the extra water holding capacity that it delivers, the soil health, that added carbon to the ground, and that's all future production. There's a lot of benefits, yeah, it's pretty cool. A soils scientist with AgResearch and I'm based at the Inverme campus just outside Mosgiel near Dunedin. 
been at AgriSearch for 26 years now. My specialty is in nitrogen cycling and losses. Uh, my brief has sort of widened in the last 10 to 20 years to actually address a lot of the broader environmental impacts of pastoral farming. Dylan was at that stage really uh, beginning that transition towards a regenerative farming model and we were quite intrigued with some of the ideas that he'd been toying with at that point uh, regarding improved ways of uh, wintering his cows. We'd underfoot that for sure, um, but there's quite a bit of armour there that's protecting most of the uh, soil. As you see, when we come down, we could see the cows are sitting on the hay and eating. You can see that now. Um, reasonably content. It's a quite a chilling wind coming through. You can see we are quite high. You can sort of consider wintering as a hot spot of environmental loss or consequence. A key part of what we're doing here is building that knowledge and trying to improve the confidence in that knowledge by doing it in a, a structured, objective, independent way. The overarching umbrella hypothesis is, does the presence of soil armour under the, the hay and pasture combination provide environmental and animal welfare benefits and specifically uh, how much benefit is provided by grazing established pasture instead of crop and secondly how much benefit is provided by the hay residue uh, compared to a forage crop where there's very little residue left. Just taking well, one off uh grazing here. It's been two days here we've had 30 30 to 40 mils down here I think. Not too bad. Bales have been demolished. I work for Don Ditchfield out at Freedom Acres. On bale grazing the cows are great to work with. They're just so relaxed. There's no mowing, no bellowing. You can walk around them. They don't tend to follow you around looking for food or anything. They're just happy as full gut. Keep condition on really well. It's great. Apart from that it's every three days we just roll some bales over, take the netting off and then let them through and that's it, move some troughs, we're, we're done. The most important measurement we're making is nitrate leaching from the bale wintering and the control treatment. That data is urgently sought to help improve our nutrient uh, cycling and loss models such as overseer. We think that pasture and hay bale combo provides some important soil armouring effects that will help reduce uh, environmental risk, particularly for water quality, and provide a more comfortable surface for animals to lie on. It's pretty clear to us that the cows like the comfort of lying on a, a nice um, area of hay residue. As a consequence, they're leaving a lot of dung and urine behind on those residues and we are going to try and measure the, uh, the amount of nitrogen that that hay residue might be tying up. We'd be pretty confident in saying that if you can maintain soil armour, soil structure, or if you can maintain more of it, we'd expect more water to infiltrate uh, rather than 
move via surface runoff. There's always a bit of green on top. We're trying to keep a bit of armour on our soil. They're just leaving it great. It's just easy as, no mud. If it, they tend to pug it up more than we want them to, we'll, we'll just move them on and we won't call the bales waste, we'll just call it litter. This is what happened through the snow we just had um, about, a, about five, six days ago. Uh, this will be the worst by far um, mess that we've made. You can see I just over there, over there even, it's actually quite grassy. What we observed both here and at Mark Anderson's place is that although the pasture gets a fairly hard grazing when the cows are here over winter, it does come away. The pasture's not damaged to the extent that it needs to be replaced. It comes away pretty quickly in the spring. And so it's almost could be considered a catch crop, if you like, in that winter grazing scenario. That uh, rapid regrowth will help suck some of that nitrogen out of the soil and reduce the amount of nitrogen that's left behind, uh, potentially vulnerable to leaching in some of that later spring drainage we, we seem to be getting more of. Ideally, we try and run a trial for a minimum of three years before we make too many robust conclusions about an observed or measured treatment effect. My gut feeling at this stage is that we think bale grazing would be quite relevant to many parts of the South Island that have reasonably well-drained soils, not too much slope, where soil armour can be maintained long enough to provide some of the environmental benefits and the animal welfare benefits we expect. The more data we can gather to really understand and quantify the benefits of these alternative approaches, uh, the better positioned we are to decide whether or not we, we need to go down the expensive barn routes or whether there are other tools in the toolbox that would suffice and be good enough to, to address the community concerns that are being expressed. Definitely it's a positive for the pro profitability of the farm. Uh, is if you're not sending your money to town, it's staying where it needs to be and we can focus on getting our stock better fed. Uh, it gives you confidence to look into ways to better the system so we can uh, keep in front of the legislation that's coming our way. And that's, that, that gets me going, you know, I get quite excited about that. You know, overall the farm's operating in a similar way with the same objectives, but I don't think a huge amount of change was required. It's more, yeah, just getting things done in a different, in a different way. It makes you feel happier about farming and more proud of our farm. It's just so nice talking to outside people and being able to say, we're taking these positive steps and it's giving us such great results. It's just a really good feeling. And it definitely works. No fertilizer on when it goes into grass. It's just seed in the ground. We've already had nitrogen fixing plants in there. So costs. Still grows, still pours out of the ground. My advice to farmers would be to take things slow and not get overwhelmed. Um, regenerative farming isn't prescriptive. There's not a one-size-fit-all approach, so you got to figure out what, what you're interested in, what works best for you, your staff, your animals, and your environment, and then tailor that and yeah, take it day by day, paddock by paddock, and enjoy the process. <laughs>